Welcome to episode number 168. We are going to be diving straight into and talking about using herbs and natural remedies, things that you can grow at home or get fairly easily that are plant material to come up with your own natural medicine cabinet along with different scenarios and skill sets to help you use these, but also knowing when to look to modern medicine. Welcome. My name is Melissa K. Norris. You are listening to the Pioneering Today podcast, which I am the host of. I'm also the author of The Made from Scratch Life, the book Handmade, and the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy. And the Pioneering Today podcast is where we don't just inspire you, but we give you the clear steps to create the homegrown garden, pantry, kitchen, and life you want for your family and your homestead. Now, I need to open up with this episode. We have a very special guest on today, which I think you are going to enjoy our conversation and learn just as much as I did. But I also need to go into it with the preface that neither of us are, which you will hear as we go through sharing our story and the tips and the things that we have gleaned, neither of us are professional medical personnel. So we aren't certified herbalists. We don't have degrees in natural medicine. And this shouldn't be taken as advice or treatment plan for you. It's for educational and entertainment purposes. And we are merely sharing what we have found and do in our own family. So I always want to be straight up front with that. And to always use your own good judgment, which we talk quite a bit about that you'll get to hear coming up shortly. One of the things that we talk about is our kids and the joy we have of being able to use some of these natural things to help ease them through times when they're not feeling well. And we both share some different examples, but it's also important, especially with kids, but with anybody when we're dealing with illness and different things, that you use really good and sound judgment. I think one of the things that helped put my mind at ease at most when my kids were really little and would get fevers, as the doctor said, of course, you want to know what the temperature right says when you take their fever, but how are they acting? So he always told me, doesn't necessarily matter what the fever number says, if they are acting really lethargic or just not acting right, that's more important than necessarily a number on the thermometer. So of course, always check with your doctor before using natural remedies or anything and your pharmacist, especially if you're already on medicine, because they can interact. And we do talk about that some in the episode. I keep teasing you. It's coming, I promise. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of preface before we dive into this interview. As always, you will be able to find the show notes and any links to resources that we mentioned in this interview right at the website on the blog. To access today's, you can go to Melissa K. Norris forward slash 168. And you will get to hear if you stay till the end of the episode where I we talk about a place that you can go and watch some videos to walk you even further down this path. And I give you the link, but you have to wait to get the link either at the blog post or at the end of the episode. But what you do need to know is one, that that link and that video series is completely free to watch, but you will have an opportunity to purchase something. And if you decide after going through all of the great free material that you do make a purchase, I will receive an affiliate commission. So number one, If you decide to purchase something, which you don't have to, totally up to you, and you're going to get a lot of wonderful free information without a purchase, thank you. It costs money to host a podcast and the website. And so any affiliate commission that I do make, I want to thank you because it helps me to keep the hosting costs up so that I can produce this for you. And rest assured that I'm never an affiliate for something that I don't think is useful and that I wouldn't use within our own home. Okay, so today's episode, I've been teasing it long enough, we're gonna just dive right in and get started, is with Marjorie Wildcraft. Marjorie is the founder of The Grow Network. If you've been in homesteading, self-sufficiency, or natural living very long, you have probably heard of Marjorie. And if not, then you are in for a treat today. Okay, here is our conversation and today's episode. Well, guys, I am thrilled 
to have Marjorie Wildcraft on the podcast today. You guys are going to be in for a major treat. And actually, this is, believe it or not, this is the first time that Marjorie and I have got to talk. So I kind of feel like you guys are just getting the benefit of listening to the conversation and it's kind of like for me. (laughs) So Marjorie, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. I think those are the best podcasts, Melissa. Just where you're really trying to get something and then everybody else can too. And yeah, they're fun. And thank you for having me on. And I'm looking forward to like, this is going to be awesome to have further collaboration. So yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited. So one of the things, a little bit of my background and why I'm really excited to pick your brain, Marjorie, is though I was raised as a homesteader, so we grew up raising our own cattle, big vegetable garden. My mom cooked from scratch. We canned and seed saved and did a lot of those homesteading self-reliant things. And when I was growing up, which was back in the 80s, (laughs) we did not go to the doctor very often. And the main reason was my dad was self-employed and we didn't have health insurance and we had enough to get by, but we didn't have extra money and going to the doctor was an expense. Now, if we were really sick, of course, we would go in. But if you had a cough or a cold or a sore throat, you waited it out. And I only remember going to the doctor maybe, honestly, a few times growing up. It wasn't a normal occurrence, but we did not use herbal or natural remedies. So as I got further into life and into looking at healing myself when modern medicine failed me and with food and diet and getting back to basics and natural remedies, I felt like I was stepping into it with no background whatsoever. And I was really excited to learn and to implement and to especially put these things to use with my kids so that they would grow up, one, with the benefits of having natural medicine, but two, knowing and having right? And getting hallelujah. (laughs) That's definitely a good thing. Yeah, I really wanted that for them. And so over the past eight years, I've dove into it, but I feel like you have more knowledge than me. And I always love to be able to talk to people who know more than me and to glean from them and constantly learn. I've got some good news for you, Melissa. So I may know a little bit more, maybe not actually. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I grew up very much like you did, that we just didn't have any money. And there wasn't really a whole lot of herbal medicine going on either. So we just didn't have healthcare. (laughs) Like, yeah. And you know, you got the measles. Well, you should get the measles apparently. And that was what we did. If you cut yourself open, well, you better figure out how to clean that up and put something on it. And I didn't really get into it until I started entering into motherhood. And I think motherhood is the trigger for a lot of women. And we start really going, holy cow, you know, make a baby out of my own body. And then I'm going to be responsible for this life. And you go, wait a minute. And then you start finding about the food system and the pharmaceutical and you you, you go, whoa, like, wait a minute. And you start saying you want to do something different and start learning 20 years, maybe 22, 25 now, but really just treating all kinds of household stuff, common household stuff. And the really cool thing is like, if you think about it, all this stuff is really very simple because if you think about your great grandmother or your great, great grandmother living in a house without electricity, they're probably hauling water from somewhere. They don't have a blender and they don't have a cousinart or anything. I mean, this yeah. stuff has to be simple and they don't have a doctor, so it has to be effective. So that's the cool thing is it works and it's really easy and really simple. You just got to learn it. I love hearing that too, because I think as well for listeners, I think sometimes when we see podcasts or read different blogs and websites, we think like, gosh, this person had this skill set for so long and I'm just coming into it and it feels overwhelming. So I kind of love when I hear stories similar to mine. And I did not know that you had the same background because I feel like it really does show that anybody can do it and you can start to implement and grow really quickly and also get results. So One of the things that I want to talk about is common injuries and illnesses that are easily treated with herbal remedies because you and I both, I think, share the same thing. I love herbs and I'm not against modern medicine. I actually have 18 plus years as a pharmacy technician, which made me dive even more into herbal remedies. But I do believe that there is a time and a place that we are blessed in this society that for serious things, we do have modern medicine and it does have its place. But I tend to like to start, especially with some of your common household things, like you said, a wound or cough and cold and those things. I 
always start with the herbal and the natural remedy first. And most times that totally takes care of it. So I'd love to know your favorite kind of injuries and illnesses. Favorite injuries. Oh yeah, we also homestead and by nature, we get cut, we get scratched, we get burned. I mean, we're out there in the real world. So we tend to be damaged more (laughs) than your average person. Yeah. And here, let me just state right up front that I'm really glad that you're doing that. And I believe that 90% of all your common ailments and illnesses should and can be treated at home. And other than just the like treating it aspect of it and taking care of it, there's a much deeper reason. Like my daughter, Kimber, had a fever. She's 11 years old and it's spiking up. She comes to mama and I'm in bed with her and I'm holding her. I've got the blankets on her. I'm using a cold, damp rag on her forehead to soothe her. There is a bond and there is a joy. That is what I wanted when I signed up for motherhood was to take care of my family. Mm-hmm. And if it's like, that's the scenario, we had this time together, right? And I would say, actually, a lot of the times treating my kids like lice, people hate lice. That was one of the most precious times with me with my kids was working with them on that. Anyway, that's another story. But the idea is that's part of what makes a family. That's part of the deep, deep glue and the bonds. And the other scenario is like, oh my God, she's got a fever. I'm going to go rush out to WebMD or run off to somewhere and get some chemicals to put it in her to get her fever down. That's an entirely different experience and feeling and life that I don't want to go down that path. I want to go down the path where we're really working together and healing and she knows and trusts me as the one who cares and loves for her and that it's getting to be done in that way. So let me just say that right up front that that emotional, loving, bonding time is for me the huge value in this. And 90% of everything. You can treat it at home. And you're absolutely right. There are situations when things get, you got to really be, that's one of the things we may get to, but you want to be real clear about when you're in over your head, right? And believe me, I have taken trips to the hospital. We've gone to the doctor. My son had a big boil under his arm. It was easier to go to a doctor and have them lance it and take care of it. It's something I could have done, but it was just better to have that. You know what I mean? There's times when you just say, hey, I think this is going to be better handled by somebody else. But really for the vast majority of common stuff, and I'll start out with the first group is like, Burn stings and rashes, right? Okay, I live in Texas. You're going to get stung pretty much every day. And we heat with wood, cook with gas. We're doing stuff. There's fire. You do get burned regularly, right? That's like a common thing that happens here. And being able to treat those real simple, keep an aloe vera plant in your windowsill, right? Or for us, one of my go-tos is prickly pear cactus because it grows all around here. And just put a little, little poultice on there and it's so soothing. Pretty much the same for stings and rashes. Believe it or not, for rashes... One of the best things is your own urine, which might be a little bit over the top for some people, but... (laughs) On the urine thing, I have readers who swear... Now, I've never had athlete's foot, so I can't say personally, but I have readers who swear for athlete's foot that urine will take that away and cure it. So I've actually heard urine for a few different things. Have you ever used murine eye drops, right, to get the red out? That's their tagline. Yes, right. M-U-R-I-N-E, murine. (laughs) It's basically uric acid. I don't know if they synthesize it in a lab now, but they used to collect it from like porta potties or something like that. I mean, seriously. Right. Uh, it's urine and urine in your eyes for clearing your eyes. There's a whole group of people that drink their own urine regularly and they swear it boosts their immune system. In fact, I had some, a friend of mine who was coaching health. He was a really weird, bizarre health person. He was coaching people who were intentionally going into eras where Ebola was breaking out the World Health Organization wouldn't go in with all their hazmat suits and everything, but these people were so confident in their ability to have their immune system be strong and drinking their own urine was a huge part of the protocol for them. So I'm not going that far, but let me just put that story out there of what's possible with urine. (laughs) David, I think I'm definitely going to stick to my echinacea and some of my other immune tea blends as far as Yeah, (laughs) but that is interesting. Yeah, right. Another thing that comes up all the times are wounds and lacerations. In fact, to be honest with you, with me, most times when I get bite stings or rashes, I just look at it and I note it and I just watch it and I don't do a thing about it really because it's just, I just don't have time to be treating every little fire ant bite I ever get. And I get a lot of them. So really, that's me personally. And then there's a wonderful thing with a small child of putting something on it and band-aid and all that. It's more of the process and the love again. But wounds and lacerations, this happens all the time. And definitely the size of the wound indicates whether we're going to go somewhere and have it professionally stitched up. Although my daughter and I have both practiced that skill and we've used it on animals, but we haven't done it on any of our family yet. 
but I'm regularly getting cut. My husband cut open his thumb the other day with a table saw. My own leg was lacerated. That ended up being 22 stitches. We didn't do it at home. And then I was like so grateful for morphine at the hospital. But small cuts, knowing how to clean them, small wounds, and being able to take care of this. I think we were going to talk about it another time. We added in here. Being able to take care of this stuff now is hugely important. I don't think people realize uh, how fragile the system is. There's no capacity in the hospitals. They're running as efficiently as they can. And if there's any sort of outbreak of anything, the parking lot of a hospital is going to turn into a tent city with people trying to get whatever they can for resources from there, right? You just don't want to get involved with that. And having your own medicine at home means you don't have to. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is so true, Marjorie, because as I said, I worked as a pharmacy tech for 18 plus years. I just fill in now. I'm not doing that as my day job anymore. But the supply chain, and this is like from firsthand, we would go to place our orders from our major wholesaler. So it was a very large wholesaler. And we would get a notice and it would just say it's out. I mean, no thing like we're running low or whatever. And it would be estimated. Sometimes it would say estimated a couple of weeks. And sometimes it would say unknown if it would even come back in. I mean, and this was major wow. medicines, major companies. And so it really is true. And the pharmacists and I, we would just look at each other and we're like, you know, of course you don't want to borrow worst case scenario necessarily or scare people, but it is a lot more fragile than we're led to believe or we think about. Really, it is. Wow. And relatively good times right now. I saw something that was really bizarre. It was like saline solution. None of the hospitals had saline solution, right? That's, they use saline, so that's just basically salt water, right? They use it for everything. You use it everywhere, right? I guess there's no profit margin in a little bit of salt water. <laughs> it's like, there's like, there's no saline solution for months. I don't know what the hospital did, <laughs> but you're right. Like, so being able to do this stuff at home, and here's the other thing is, you know, with these wounds and laceration, you start small. Start with something small that you know you could treat or you're going to give it a try, right? And because you'll gain confidence, right? The, the, the reason I could treat a venomous snake bite at home was because I had been doing this for years and I have a very good sense of confidence of my abilities, right? And I, I also had a plan B and a bunch of other stuff. But start small with little things when something comes up and learn and gain in confidence. But wounds and lacerations, pretty much, I think, clean the wound out really good. There's lots of different herbal remedies that you can do for it. Again, for me, if it's a large one, I tend, it, that doesn't need suturing, I tend to use a poultice with that, my favorite go-to with that. And, then, and again, that would be, for here, prickly pear is my go-to one, but you can make it out of plantain or all kinds of stuff. Just clean that wound regularly and just keep bandaging it and keeping it covered with the plant material. You know, it's another really good one for wounds and lacerations is honey, raw honey, not the stuff you buy in the store, raw honey that you get from a beekeeper. That is amazingly good for wounds. So, you know, there's a tremendous amount you can do. And there's a lot of different medicines. Sometimes people go, what, what are your medicines? And I'm like, you know what? I've used these and I really only have maybe 10 or 15 medicines at the most. You know, if you want to talk to me about ashwagandha, I am not going to be able to help you because that's not one of mine, right? Right. And, you know, hopefully these are medicines that are growing in your yard, right? And, and you don't live in Texas. Your prickly pear is going to be hard for you if you're in Minnesota, right? I'm absolutely certain there's stuff in Minnesota that works, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely agree. If it's something that you can either harvest, it's a wild plant medicine that grows native or in your area. I really do prefer those first because like you said, again, if we always are having to order it from somewhere else, it's, it's not something that we can grow at home. You still run into, well, what if that supplier runs out and you're not as self-reliant and it's a cost. And so I'm with you. And here in the Pacific Northwest where I am, yeah, prickly pear is not happening, but plantain. <laughs> there you yes, go. It grows wild out in there. You know, chickweed, like there's so many different things. And then there's a lot of things that may not be native, but lavender and echinacea and comfrey that you can bring in and grow really easy, even in small areas and have enough to treat your family and to use medicinally. So I do have to ask you though, with cleaning the wound, just because I'm super curious, do you use anything aside from soap? and water? Are you just irrigating? What's your cleaning protocol? Yeah. To be honest with you, I usually just use water. And if I feel it needs a little bit more, another one of my plants is chaparral. And I'll make what we call chaparral water, which is just like less than a half a teaspoon of the herb and put it in a quart of water and let it sit for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then that water is naturally antibacterial, antifungal. 
it's also what I use when I'm camping, right? Instead of using hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll always bring a pot and have some chaparral and fill up water and just have it by the door of the tent. And my daughter and I and the family know, you know, you just dip your hands in that and rinse it off because hygiene is super important when you're camping or all the time, right? Right. <laughs> so sometimes it looks like it really needs something like that. It was a really nasty cut with a lot of jagged stuff and debris in there. Mm-hmm. But really most of the time, just water. Let's shift over to like another one that is comes up all the time, and that's coughs and colds. And these, again, there's like a zillion different remedies for cough and cold. We'll hit a couple of them just to whet everybody's appetite. I got to say, especially with reluctant family members, I have totally got the thing and it's elderberry syrup, right? Now, I, I personally don't do a lot of syrups because I just don't want that much sugar in my diet. But man, I can get elderberry syrup down everybody here, <laughs> even the most <laughs> I don't want that stuff, you know. And elderberry syrup's delicious and just a super immune booster and really, really effective against coughs and colds. Another one, and I've got my whole family trained on this one, especially for chest things or bronchial things, is crushed garlic. You take a clove of garlic, peel it, use this flat side of your blade to smash it, pressure's good, and then chop it up real fine so it gets oxidized. And all of that process, which is not that much, helps release more of, I believe it's the alanines, which is the components Mm -hmm. that are best in the garlic. But garlic has at least 35 constituents that we know about. There may be a lot more that are antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal. Stefan Brunner, who is like one of the most famous herbalists that are knowledgeable about herbal antibiotics that if he was on a desert island and all he could have was one medicine, he said it'd be garlic because it is the powerhouse of antibiotics for home. And you know, when you take that and you don't want to take it on an empty stomach, because man, think about raw garlic in your belly. (laughs) You want to have a little bit of food in there. And often it's best to take with a little bit of butter or some kind of fat. Some people, again, will put it in honey just to get it down a kid's throat. And I actually take it proactively, like before the holidays, or if I know I'm going into a stressful situation, I'll take three cloves a day. If I know I'm going into like those family gatherings where you know you're going to be in those rooms where it's meant for five people and now there's 25 and the ventilation isn't good and they've all come from God knows where and everybody's carrying all kinds of what and you've been eating all kinds of stuff you don't normally eat. And you yes. know it's like this whole totally designed to get you sick soup. And so I'll, you know, I know that's coming, right? You know, I know that's coming. We're going to have three days with Grammy and Pops and all the family. So I start taking garlic a little bit ahead of time and then take it like that during it and usually manage to escape the holiday cough and cold syndrome. Yeah. Going back to elderberry syrup, elderberry is amazing. I mean, there's tons of scientific studies that show its effectiveness on the immune system with influenza. I mean, it's not one of those just folk remedies or placebo effects. It really does. And what's amazing now, I'm very excited because last spring I planted two elderberry plants on our homestead. So I'm just beyond thrilled. I can't wait to get my first harvest. Oh, good I on can't you. wait. Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited. But I have been purchasing dried elderberries to just make my own. Yep. And yeah, the syrup's good. I also will do a glycerin tincture, my different things. But the fabulous thing about the elderberry is my daughter came down over the holidays, of course, with wonderful cough and cold. And she immediately is like, mom, you got any of that syrup? <laughs> and I just <laughs> love that they ask for it. I'm so excited because she's nine that she's coming and she's knowing intuitively like, mom, do you have an oil or a syrup or something? That's so, so awesome. It was so cute. She would measure it out every morning before school. And then when she got home and at bedtime and it was really cool. I felt it was that proud mama moment. Like, oh, yeah, she's getting it. Yeah, it was really exciting. I love the elderberry. My family loves garlic, even cooking with garlic and medicinally. It's kind of like if the recipe calls for, you know, two cloves and let's do five. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Bring on the garlic. Yeah. And another thing during the cough and cold, especially if you've got like the nasal and the sinus congestion going on is I love doing some hot pepper, some cayenne or some jalapeno. You can do uh-huh. like a fire cider, but my goodness, does that clear your sinuses oh, yeah. out? Oh my gosh. So much better than those spray things that you can only use for three days or you get addicted to them. I mean, yeah. So I'm with you on those. And yet always during the holidays, it seems, yeah, it's just right. kind of a little Petri dish and everybody comes together and we all pass it around. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's so wonderful with your daughter. Like that's really what it's all about because she looks to you instead of somebody behind the counter at Walgreens. Yeah. And she does. They enjoy it. Yeah. The flavor of that one, you're right. There's some of the medicines they're not always too thrilled to take down (laughs) or the smell of them, but 
Yeah. Have you read the ingredients on one of those cough syrup things? I think that that should be illegal. It is like one of the most toxic chemical cocktails on the planet, that NyQuil or whatever. It Go there and you're going to need a really high-powered magnifier. <laughs> it's just like, it's crazy, you know? Oh, yeah. And then there's the food dyes. I mean, there's so much stuff in there beyond mm-hmm. that. And speaking of, we were talking about cough and cold and honey. Honey is excellent too for soothing throats, for helping with coughs. In fact, the last year that I was at the pharmacy, it was so funny because the pharmacist, I was always asking him questions about herbs and interactions with medicines because that is a real thing. They're, you know, natural, but they can interact. And so I was always coming to him. He was so sweet. I was always coming with all these questions. And so he'd do the research and look in and, and give me the answer, which was fabulous. But our actual pharmacy magazine that we would get in newsletter was going back to honey. I mean, this is mainstream and it was saying to go back to honey as recommended resource for helping with the cough and colds and not all of the other cough syrups and all wow. of that. I mean, awesome. That was really cool. I know I'm like, oh, we're hitting mainstream, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The people's medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go into another one. And this is another real common thing that comes up is fevers. And I talked a little bit about my daughter when she had one. I think one of the most astonishing things that people learn that don't know about fevers is really for most of them, you shouldn't do anything. Really, it's what your body is naturally heating up to kill off things. And if that temperature is not getting too high, and what is too high? right? Just, I'll just toss out a number and then realize that there's lots of ways that that number could be different. But, you know, like over 104, right? When you right. start getting above that, it starts getting to where you're cooking yourself, right? And also, if you see a fever, like come on really rapidly and then drop and then come back really rapidly and drop, that may also be a sign that you've got some other major infection going on somewhere. So those are the ones that are really light my alarm bells. But, you know, you run-of-the-mill fever, it's 102 and they're miserable, just keep them as warm as you can. And then a really a cold rag with some ice wiping on their forehead or on their face. So soothing, nice music that you being there with them. I can't say how much is important about that somebody who loves them taking care of them, how much that is. And, you know, I think we got away from a lot of that because we were all supposed to be going to work, right? (laughs) It's like supposedly the whole thing for vaccinations is, well, you don't have to be out for two weeks because your kids are sick. But really that two weeks that you spent together while your kids were sick was probably some of the most precious time. Anyway, fevers, like the vast majority of them, you don't need to do a lot. It's really a process. I'll tell you another thing about fever. So my husband is a hot tub nut. He loves hot tubs. He's the kind of guy who buys a hot tub and uses it all the time, right? And I'm not that big, but one thing that I have found it to be useful is if I'm starting to get a little bit run down, working too much, eating the wrong things, and starting to feel the edges of something, I will sometimes go sit in that hot tub for way longer than you should, like 20 or 30 minutes, and intentionally create a fever in my body. And that will usually stop whatever is happening because that's what the purpose of a fever is, is to just get hotter. Or if somebody has a fever in in our family, we will sometimes just have them go to the hot tub because the hot tub, for your body to generate all that heat takes a huge amount of calories and energy. And if you go in the hot tub, the hot tub water is already hot and it saves your body the work of having to create that heat. So people don't know what I think of a hot tub as a medicinal tool like that. But. I love that you say this because I'm trying not to laugh the whole time you're talking because we have a hot tub and he loves it. I mean, he goes in it not necessarily every day, but almost. And so when you were talking, I'm like, oh, they would be best friends. Yeah. He loves the hot tub. And I never thought of it like that. But I do go in it probably about a couple of times a week. I don't go in it as much as he does. But I never even thought about that in regards to fever. But another point that you brought up that I think is really important is we are conditioned as a modern society. I'm kind of generalizing here, but as modern society, we're conditioned to think that we should never feel inconvenienced or pain or anything like that. There's a pill to fix everything. And so we kind of have, as modern society, not you and I, and certainly probably not if you're listening to the Pioneering Today podcast, probably not you either. But if you've not been feeling well for a day or two, like, oh, you better run to the doctor and they're going to give you a pill and it's going to make you feel better. But that's really a fallacy and where I feel like we've ran into so many problems with modern medicine and overuse of antibiotics and just all different pharmaceuticals. We'll leave that for another time because that would be a very long episode (laughs) and off topic a little bit. But what you're saying with the fever, as long as it's not going too high and it's not life-threatening, 
signs of, of some serious things. I think there's something to be said for just letting your body, giving it aids to help it, of course, and monitoring, but allowing your body to get through whatever it is and to fight it off and to come out the other side without trying to make it all go away instantaneously. And that's not always the most fun to be sick. I mean, let's be real. True. I think that there's something to it, like you said, kind of shifting your mindset a little bit. And letting those lesser things ride out and like, you know, doing what you can to make the person feel comfortable and staying within safety reasons. But yeah, I think that that's an important thing. So I just kind of wanted to draw that out a little bit. Yeah. Well, embracing what's happening and really going with it. And I mentioned it earlier and it's kind of like a yucky thing, but my kids got lice. It happens, right? Yes. Around other kids. It's going to come around a couple of times in their childhood. Of course, the kids are like, oh my God, I got lice. It's terrible. And I said, I am not putting that most of that lice. Amen. Oh my God. (laughs) It's just like, please, no, we're not putting that on my child's head right near its brain. And we tried all kinds of alternatives, you know, some peppermint and the shampoo. I think all that stuff kind of helps. But what really gets rid of lice is, you know, you wash their hair every day and yes, use your regular shampoo with a little bit, a couple of drops of essential oil of peppermint in there. And that does help to really annoy the lice. But the real thing is a lice comb and Mm. just comb them every day for at least two weeks solid. Because I think the lice have like a 10 day cycle or something. And you want to go past that a bit. And for me, it was absolutely I, again, I know you know, this is going to sound weird, but it was one of the most delightful times ever because both my kids got lice, of course, several times, and they did not want them. So they were unbelievably cooperative. And I would do them, for some reason, my husband was gone on a trip or something like that, working or something. And every afternoon, we would wash their hair, and then we would comb the hair, and I would do both of them, and we would all just hang out together and talk and whatever while I was combing their hair. And they were like, that was a big one or getting a magnifying glass or playing with them or what. Yeah, I mean, but we hung out together and it was me and my two kids. And I have to tell you, for me, that's one of the most delightful times as a mom. It was just really, really good. I will say my son eventually figured out that they will not grow if you have really short (laughs) hair. Yeah. (laughs) He got a buzz cut because I think it really was my daughter who was mostly getting them and bringing them to the family because she's really lovey huggy duggy with all her friends and everything. <laughs> so yeah, no, same here. My daughter twice she has came home with lice and I'm the same as you. I'm like, I am not using permethrin. I'm not using any of those. And so we tried the smothering, any type of oil. Oil. And then yeah, that's wash. A mess. Yeah, yeah, it was a mess. We tried that first and then washing it. But yeah, it was just diligently And I would use the comb first to get the majority of them. And then we would go sit in anywhere if you have sunshine. It makes the little eggs, the sunshine reflects them so well. And I just sit and pick them out by hand. So we'd always go outside. In fact, there was a couple of times she had it and we were camping. And so we just sit at the picnic table at the campground in the sun and go through it. And same thing. And I never had to use any of it. We got rid of it completely. It was like nine months later, the next school year, she came home with it once more. And just the same routine every day diligently for 14 days in a row. And of course, washing the bedding or even just throwing the bedding in the dryer. I didn't even wash it every day, just throw it in the dryer for I think it's 20 minutes and the heat would kill everything. So I didn't have to use all the water and soap every day. And it completely eradicated it, didn't have to use any nasty chemicals. And yeah, I'm with you. She would talk about her day and I can't say I necessarily enjoyed it as much as you did, but it wasn't like this horrible thing and we weren't dealing with reinfestations and all that kind of stuff. So it's really easy to treat it. It just takes some time and diligence. The idea, and going back to the point that started this, is really just embracing what's coming along and recognizing this obstacle is an opportunity for bonding and for connection and, you know, whatever it is. And for me, I was really consciously aware that I loved the time with them. Lice are yucky and nobody wants lice, but it was really a beautiful time. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And I, again, this home medicine, that's what a lot of it is about. I mean, there's so many things in our culture that have divided the family. Right now, we send most of us, not necessarily you or I, but we send our kids off to an institution to be educated. And then our elders are supposed to have social security and they're taken care of. We have insurance. So that way you don't have to depend on your neighbors if your house burns down or something like that. We have insurance so that you don't have to be responsible for your health. Obviously, some of these institutions serve a good purpose and I'm not going to wail on all of them. But on the other hand, they have also created a big wedge into the family. Just taking back home medicine and saying, hey, I'm a woman, I'm a mom, I'm a wife. Traditionally, we are the healers and the nurturers. It's something I wanted to do when I signed up for motherhood. 
<laughs> so let's do it, right? Yeah, I agree. And it's been really fun to just see the difference because I really started when my daughter, I have two children, she's my youngest, my second child was born. And it's been amazing to see because it's all she's known. Whereas my son, he was about four. And so he has a little bit more of a memory of when I didn't always use the Uh, natural uh medicine. So it's very interesting to see one child who has been immersed in it since birth and then one that was a little bit later. He will even come to and ask like, mom, do you have, I have a little essential oil blend that I use for if they've got, you know, like congestion or the sniffles, that type of thing. And he's like, mom, where's sniffle oil? (laughs) That type of thing. But she's really like anything. She gets a, like you were saying, you know, like a cut or anything like that, or she's starting to come down with something or she's coughing. She immediately only asks for the natural remedies where my son may be like, I got a headache. Do we have any ibuprofen or whatever? So it's just been really fascinating to watch that. And I agree that there's something about when you're the one treating them. So we did talk a little bit in regards to when you have a fever, if it's getting up, obviously really high. And the younger the child, of course, that threshold, generally speaking, recommendations drops down a little bit. But if the fever is going really high, like spiking and dropping and then spiking or just goes and stays really high, that's time when we would be aware to seek outside medical help. Is there anything other criteria that you just personally use that you've got down for when you would be, okay, this is probably the point where we would go and seek outside help? That's if it's over 105 for like more than an hour. Yeah, that's just my, what I decide. Right. 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 And I will say there's different levels of outside help and build a network and really herbalists, your community herbalist is a fantastic resource and they often can really help in these situations before you have to go somewhere. Now, they're not always available in the middle of the night, which is usually when the fevers happen, but having a network of different healers that you've used and that they know you. We have a wonderful, wonderful traditional Chinese medicine man. I mean, if you get any major thing, like a big sore throat or you know something like stomach, major stuff, he's often really good at just taking care of that, right? So I tend to go to, and it's good to be very clear about your own, like you're right, you know, like, you know, I know if it's over 105 for more than an hour, we're getting into territory that I really don't feel comfortable being in. And so know your limits and respect that and do your best to have a network of other healers. And then of course, we do have the other kind of the worst case scenarios for us is the dock in the box or the hospital. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really grateful that they're there, right? They're like my ultimate backup plan. And I really like having many different forms of backup. so I'm not going to diss them, but it's definitely not my preference. Right. Yeah. And and I'm a complete agreement. I mean, isn't that interesting? I should probably do more research on that, but I've always found whenever a fever or even a really bad, like cough or cold, just when you're really not feeling well, it's always worse at night and in the early morning. And then like the middle part of the day, I always get like this surge where I feel better. I wonder if there's something in our bodies that does that. The weekends too, right? But you know, that's actually true hospitals. And you may have seen this with your work. People do tend to get sick or injured or something more frequently on the weekends. It's because they do things differently on the weekend. You know, you go to work, there's a pattern and a rhythm going on there. But on the weekends, everybody's doing different stuff. So there does tend to be more injuries and accidents and stuff on the weekends. So there's something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Here, let's move on to another one. And actually, there's a dozen of them that I really feel everybody should be able to handle. We're not going to get all dozen of them, but it's just fun. I want to get more information out there. The other is like, this is a common one, indigestion and stomach aches. And people are not going to like the solution to this, but bitters are really, really important. And herbal medicine, by the way, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to take an herb and it's going to replace this pill. That is completely wrong. Yes. This is all about really always gently nourishing and nudging yourself into health. And one way to do that is to start incorporating more bitters into your diet and especially before you eat. So like I'm pretty famous for handing out dandelion leaves 10 minutes before dinner and say, chew on this. You can make, I think there's some different things, different herbalists that make little bitter sprays that they mix in with a little bit of something sweet like glycerin so it doesn't come across as bad, but you still get the bitter. And the bitter is really, really good for the digestive system. That's definitely one of my go-tos. Now, if somebody's already got a stomach ache and we've done the bitters, a cup of mint tea is often really, really soothing for a stomach ache. And those are just two simple little remedies. And again, as, as you and I, and there's really literally dozens of different things you can do for everything. And the key is to find your own medicine and to experiment. And again, I'll emphasize, start small. Maybe you've got a little bit of indigestion. Just try taking a bitter 
and you know, seeing how you feel and start noticing. And of course, you're going to be your own best test case. And you know, Melissa, I think I've got to do the background on this, but I was talking to Sayer G. I think it may actually be illegal to treat your own family. There's this whole legal thing about using the word treat or cure. I mean, you and I cannot treat or cure anybody. You have to be licensed to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm assuming it would be the same for herbalists, but I know for medical doctors, just having worked in pharmacies that were attached to clinics, It depends on what it is. They cannot write controlled substances for themselves or for their family members, but they can do certain things. So I think it depends on what the treatment is that they're doing. And a lot of times having that objectivity when it comes to like a major illness like that would probably be wise. And of course, we're getting into controlled substances. But yeah, we can't technically say we are diagnosing or treating. treating. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, funny? Like, a, like it may technically be illegal to treat your children, which I think is insane. And we're nobody's really going there. But anyway, <laughs> let's not go too off into the whole yeah. how the AMA has totally got a death grip on our legal system. Yeah. um, You know, I really wanted to go back really quickly to the uh point that you are making though with the herbal medicine is it's not just this herb is going to swap out this pill. And when I first started looking into it, that was kind of the mindset or how I went into it. And then I, you know, begin to learn so much more and to try things out. And it's really true, even using pharmaceuticals, that everybody's body has different things in it and we all react differently. I mean, and this is true even with regular prescriptions, but especially with herbs. So a lot of times I've heard people say, well, you know, the herbs didn't really work for me. Well, they tried like one herb once and think that that didn't work where instead of trying different things and realizing that it's not just a one time you take an herbal capsule or a cup of tea and you're healed, that it's a process. And even within modern medicine, we have a responsibility or we should to know our own bodies and to go with your gut. There's something about your intuition. I know from my own personal experience where I had doctors telling me, we're not finding anything. And then I finally went to a naturopath who ran different tests and discovered that I needed thyroid medication. I mean, my hair was falling out. I knew that there was something wrong, despite what different doctors and labs had said. So I think with herbal medicine too, like you said, there's something about knowing our bodies and moving with our gut. And it's always a learning process, but even with the herbal medicine too, and trying, like you said, trying these different things and keeping notes, what worked, what didn't, or how you felt and all of that is really important too. In the seven stages of becoming a home medicine maker or a medicine woman, medicine man, one of the stages is where you start using herbs proactively, which is you start using nourishing tonics, You start using, like, for example, these bitters before a meal, where you really start to incorporate this as a lifestyle. And actually, the final one I was going to hit of all the different ones, we (laughs) there's so much you can do, but we really want to empower people here that you can get started. But anxiety and, and insomnia, and this is a pretty common one. Yeah. And I will say, you know, I run the Grow Network and it's a large organization. I also grow a significant amount of my own food and I'm a mom to two teenage kids. And I got as much going on in my life as anybody, if not more. And there are definitely times when I have a tremendous amount of stress. And I will tell you that this proactive use of just herbal tonics, different herbs to soothe, say, for example, the kidneys and the adrenal glands really, really, really helps. And some of the things for anxiety and insomnia, they're gentle. So they're not going to like knock you out the way some of the pharmaceutical pills do. But one of my favorites, it's just so simple. It's just chamomile tea in the evening, a nice big chamomile tea with maybe a dash of honey or a little bit of licorice or something like that. Mm -hmm. just helps to calm and soothe. It's also really supportive of the liver. It just is nice. There's lots of other little herbs like a valerian tincture in a glycerin, especially for kids just to help calm them down. There's a whole, whole bevy of herbs and I'll be totally honest with you. I don't know all of them. Sometimes I will just buy them as a blend from local herbalist that I know and trust and say, look, I really need something to soothe the adrenal glands. And she makes me a bubble and I ought to go look at the ingredients on the bottle. And again, here's another thing is you don't need to know everything. Again, have your net of trusted healthcare providers, your local herbalist. I do. I'm like, hey, I'm really going through a stressful time here. And she's like, here, let me give you this blend that will help you. But there's a lot you can do. And it's astonishing with anxiety and insomnia. It's, It's crazy how many people are antidepressant drugs. I think most women my age, like some crazy amount, 40% of them are on antidepressants. I'm like, really? That many people? 
And there's actually a lot that you can do. Here's another one. It's CBD oil I find is tremendously useful for anxiety. And I've bought a property in Colorado last year and I managed to get a medicinal garden in in all the chaos of replacing the roof and painting the house and (laughs) replacing the entire wiring and then also replacing the entire heating system. I mean, it was major, right? I'm like, I have no idea how I managed to get this garden going, but I grew, and it's illegal there, and I grew a bunch of medicinal CBD plants. And I found that that CBD is so useful to help in stress and to help the nervous system that I grew a bunch of those plants and now I'm learning how to make my own oils and make my own medicine from it for it. At the moment, I'm buying some commercially and using it, but CBD is just an incredible, useful plant for that. In addition to all the others, you know, I mean, if people have an issue with that whole hemp cannabis thing, there's lots of other traditional medicines that help. And my go-to every evening is a big, hot, steaming mug of chamomile tea, and it really does help soothe and calm. It does. And that's so easy to grow at home. I mean, that one is one that's easily grown. I grow it right outside in my little kitchen. I've got herb gardens all over the property, but I have my little kitchen ones that are right outside the door so I can easily just go and grab them when I need them during the growing season. And it's fascinating because I was just reading a book, I kid you not, last night. It was by Dr. Alan Christensen, and I'll link to it in the show notes, guys. But it's on the adrenal glands, and he gets into cortisol slopes and food, of course, because food is our medicine too. And Chamomile, as you were saying, is one of the ones that he recommends for adrenal health and sleep. So it has effects on the adrenals as well as those calming properties too. So that's a great one. I'm really glad that you brought that one up. Yeah. I'm also glad you mentioned growing it because if you want to increase the potency of any of these homemade medicines, first of all, you increase the potency of any medicine by you being the one administering it, right? Because you have a more vested interest in all of your family than anybody could possibly ever have, regardless of their white coat and their stethoscope or whatever they got, right? Right. And I know that there's so much more that we could go into, but I think we have a great solid foundation here that people can get started on and to begin with. But if you want to dive in further, I know that Marjorie, you have a free four-part herbal video series. So you guys can check that out at melissaknorris.com forward slash herbal making. And of course, as always, we'll have the full blog post that accompanies this episode. So you can grab links and resources there too. But do you want to give us just a little bit of a brief overview of what's in that four-part series? Sure. And I really respect people's time. So each video, I think they're like 10 or 15 minutes. They're pretty short. And in the first one, we go over the three reasons why the medical system is so dangerous and the best form of medicine for you to start with as a beginner. I'll give you a spoiler alert. It's herbal medicine. But I go into comparison with a lot of other varieties and why that's actually the best one. We go into the eight preparations that every home medicine maker needs to know how to make and how to do it. So fresh, pills, tinctures, salves, lotions, syrups. We go into all the different preparations. And the third one, we go into the seven stages of becoming a home medicine maker. And then in the fourth one, we open up my own medicine kit and give you a peek into what I have, what I carry around. You know, I have a medicine bag, right? And I have my stuff in it. One of those old timey doctor's bag, believe it or not, is just the perfect size bag for all the medicines you need as a home medicine maker. And I show you my bag that I pull out of my hallway closet where I keep it and go through all the stuff and show it to you. So yeah, it's a wonderful training. And I really, really enjoyed putting it out there. And I really am on a mission. We mostly cater to women, although we have a lot of men that are taking it also. But it's really all about just rebuilding those bonds in your family and strengthening your family and strengthening family union. And I feel that the more love we can generate, the better off we're all going to be. And by taking care of your family with these minor illnesses, which you can easily handle at home, it adds so much more love into the connections. Yeah, I completely agree. And I love that. I think, yeah, love is definitely the answer in so many different forms, but even in within our, our home medicine and our family and having a strong family unit, I think is so important and something in modern society that has kind of been, I don't want to use the word destroyed because there's a lot of good family units out there, but something that's not been as prioritized <laughs> as it has been in the past. So I think it's awesome that the two come together. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your time with it. I've enjoyed it. I've learned some things. I'm sure that the listeners have. And I love, you're similar to me. We both feel that we have a a mission to help people and to make this world a better place. So thank you. 
Uh, thank you for having me on, Melissa. I super appreciate it. It's been fun. And uh, you know, we'll have to do it again sometime. I completely agree. So you hear that, guys? You let me know either in the blog post comments or in the reviews of the podcast what you would like to have Marjorie come on and share with us next. Ooh, I would love that. I, I always am calling my people and doing polls and checking in questions and reading comments. So I love it. Yeah, let me know. I'm up. Let's do awesome. it. Okay, you guys heard it. So get out there and let us know. Well, I hope that you had as much fun as I did on this episode with all of the stories and the information. And of course, we always wrap up every episode with our verse of the week. So today, we are heading on over to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2, and we're going to do verses 4 through 7. And this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. If you seek wisdom as for silver and search for skillful and godly wisdom as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of our omniscient God. For the Lord gives skillful and godly wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He hides away sound and godly wisdom and stores it up for the righteous, those who are upright and in right standing with him. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly and in integrity. And I thought with all that we were sharing with today, that speaking of wisdom was a really good note to end on. There's a lot of wisdom to be had, and probably at this time of all of mankind, we have more wisdom, or I guess I shouldn't use the word wisdom. We have more knowledge and information available to us than any other time in history. The internet is a very powerful thing. I mean, I'm getting to talk to you and you're getting to listen to this because of the internet. So it's got some great things, but I think it's also so important, even though we've got all of this knowledge and all of this information available, that we definitely use wisdom in what we apply and how we're living our life. And that for me as a Christian, and I know not all of my listeners are Christian, but a good portion of you are, that we always turn back to the Lord and that we seek His wisdom and Him first, and that we hold up what we're learning and the knowledge that we're gaining to His Word. And I am so thankful because I know that the Lord has directed me to so many resources, including online and podcasts, that have enriched and brought so many great things to our life. And I hope that this podcast serves you the exact same way. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to be back here with you next week. Remember, all of the links, any of the resources that we're talking about for this episode can all be found at melissaknorris.com forward slash 168, and I'll be back here with you next week. Bye for now.